Episode 23. Winston had the feeling they were talking at cross purposes. What I really wanted to know was this, he said. Do you feel that you have more freedom now than you had in those days? Are you treated more like a human being? Now, in the old days, the people at the top, the House of Lords, put in the old man, reminiscently, the House of Lords, if you like. What I'm asking is, were these people able to treat you as an inferior simply because they were rich and you were poor? Is it a fact, for instance, that you had to call them sir and take off your cap when you passed them? The old man appeared to think deeply. He drank off about a quarter of his beer before answering. Yes, he said. They liked you to touch your cap to them. You show respect, like. I, I didn't agree with it myself, but I'd done it often enough. Had to, as you might say. And was it usual, I'm only quoting what I've read in history books, was it usual for these people and their servants to push you off the pavement into the gutter? One of them pushed me once, said the old man. I, I recollect it as if it was yesterday. It was boat race night. Terribly rowdy they used to get on boat race night. And I bumps into a young bloke on Shaftesbury Avenue. Quite a gent he was, dress shirt, top hat, black overcoat. He was kind of zigzagging across the pavement and I, I bumps into him accidental like. He says, why can't you look where you're going, he says. I say, do you think you bought the bleeding pavement? He says, I'll twist your bloody head off if you get fresh with me. You're drunk. I'll give you in charge in half a minute, I says. And if you'll believe me, he puts his hand on my chest and gives me a shove as pretty near sent me over the wheels of a bus. Well, I was young in them days and I was going to have fetched him one only. A sense of helplessness took hold of Winston. The old man's memory was nothing but a rubbish heap of details. One could question him all day without getting any real information. The party histories might still be true after a fashion. They might even be completely true. He made a last attempt. Perhaps I have not made myself clear, he said. What I'm trying to say is this. You have been alive a very long time. You lived half your life before the revolution. In 1925, for instance, you were already grown up. Now, would you say from what you can remember, that life in 1925 was better than it is now or worse? If you could choose, would you prefer to live then or now? The old man looked meditatively at the darts board. He finished up his beer more slowly than before. And when he spoke, it was with a tolerant philosophical air as though the beer had mellowed him. I know what you expect me to say, he said. You expect me to say as I'd sooner be young again. Most people say they'd sooner be young if you asked them. You got your health and strength when you're young. When you get to my time of life, you ain't never well. I suffer something wicked from my feet and my bladder's just terrible. Six and seven times a night it has me out of bed. Now on the other hand, there's great advantages as being an old man. You ain't got the same worries. No truck with women, and that's a great thing. I ain't had a woman for near on 30 years, if you credit it. 
nor wanted to once more. Winston sat back against the windowsill. It was no use going on. He was about to buy some more beer when the old man suddenly got up and shuffled rapidly into the stinking urinal at the side of the room. The extra half-liter was already working on him. Winston sat for a minute or two, gazing at his empty glass, and hardly noticed when his feet carried him out into the street again. Within 20 years at the most, he reflected, the huge and simple question, was life better before the revolution than it is now, would have ceased once and for all to be answerable. But in effect, it was unanswerable even now, since the few scattered survivors from the ancient world were incapable of comparing one age with another. They remembered a million useless things, a quarrel with a workmate, a hunt for a lost bicycle pump, the expression on a long dead sister's face, the swirl of dust on a windy morning 70 years ago but all the relevant facts were outside the range of their vision. They were like the ant, which can see small objects, but not large ones. And when memory failed and written records were falsified, when that happened, the claim of the party to have improved the conditions of human life had got to be accepted, because there did not exist, and never again could exist, any standard against which it could be tested. At this moment, his train of thought stopped abruptly. He halted and looked up. He was in a narrow street with a few dark little shops interspersed among dwelling houses. Immediately above his head, there hung three discolored metal balls which looked as if they had once been gilded. He seemed to know the place. Of course, he was standing outside the junk shop where he had bought the diary. A twinge of fear went through him. It had been a sufficiently rash act to buy the book in the beginning, and he had sworn never to come near the place again. And yet, the instant that he allowed his thoughts to wander, his feet had brought him back here of their own accord. Now, it was precisely against suicidal impulses of this kind that he had hoped to guard himself by opening the diary. At the same time, he noticed that although it was nearly 21 hours, the shop was still open. With the feeling that he would be less conspicuous inside than hanging about on the pavement, he stepped through the doorway. If questioned, he could plausibly say he was trying to buy razor blades. The proprietor had just lighted a hanging oil lamp, which gave off an unclean but friendly smell. He was a man of perhaps 60, frail and bowed, with a long benevolent nose and mild eyes distorted by thick spectacles. His hair was almost white, but his eyebrows were bushy and still black. His spectacles, his gentle fussy movements, and the fact that he was wearing an aged jacket of black velvet gave him a vague air of intellectuality as though he had been some kind of literary man, or perhaps a musician. His voice was soft, although faded, and his accent less debased than that of the majority of proles. I recognized you on the pavement, he said immediately. You're the gentleman that bought the young lady's keepsake album. 
That was a beautiful bit of paper, that was. Cream laid, it used to be called. There's been no paper like that made for, oh, I dare say, 50 years. He peered at Winston over the top of his spectacles. Is there anything special I can do for you, or did you just want to look round? I was passing, said Winston vaguely. I just looked in. I, I don't want anything in particular. It's just as well, said the other, because I don't suppose I could have satisfied you. He made an apologetic gesture with his soft palm hand. You see how it is, an empty shop, you might say. Between you and me, the antique trade's just about finished. No demand any longer and no stock either. Furniture, china, glass, it's all been broken up by degrees. And of course the metal stuff's mostly been melted down. I haven't seen a brass candlestick in years. The tiny interior of the shop was, in fact, uncomfortably full, but there was almost nothing in it of the slightest value. The floor space was very restricted because all around the walls were stacked innumerable dusty picture frames. In the window, there were trays of nuts and bolts, worn out chisels, pen knives with broken blades, tarnished watches that did not even pretend to be in going order and other miscellaneous rubbish. Only on a small table in the corner was there a litter of odds and ends, lacquered snuff boxes, agate brooches and the like, which looked as though they might include something interesting. As Winston wandered toward the table, his eye was caught by a round, smooth thing that gleamed softly in the lamplight, and he picked it up. It was a heavy lump of glass, curved on one side, flat on the other, making almost a hemisphere. There was a peculiar softness as of rainwater in both the color and the texture of the glass. At the heart of it, magnified by the curved surface, there was a strange pink convoluted object that recalled a rose or a sea anemone. What is it, said Winston, fascinated. That's coral, that is, said the old man. It must have come from the Indian Ocean. They used to kind of embed it in the glass. Now that wasn't made less than a hundred years ago. More, by the look of it. It's a beautiful thing, said Winston. It is a beautiful thing, said the other, appreciatively. But there's not many that would say so nowadays, he coughed. <laughs> now, if it so happened that you wanted to buy it, that it cost you four dollars. I can remember when a thing like that would have fetched eight pounds, and eight pounds was, well, I can't quite work it out, but it was a lot of money. But who cares about genuine antiques nowadays? Even the few that's left. Winston immediately paid over the four dollars and slid the coveted thing into his pocket. What appealed to him about it was not so much its beauty as the air it seemed to possess of belonging to an age quite different from the present one. The soft, rain-watery glass was not like any glass he had ever seen. The thing was doubly attractive because of its apparent uselessness, though he could guess that it must once have been intended as a paperweight. It was very heavy in his pocket, but fortunately, it did not make much of a bulge. It was a queer thing, even a compromising thing for a party member to have in his possession. Anything old, 
And for that matter, anything beautiful was always vaguely suspect. <laughs>